Well, it's good to be together again. We are all of three weeks old. Woo! Celebrate. You know, when you have a newborn, you celebrate like each week as it happens. So we're three weeks old, which means we still don't sleep through the night, right? We certainly, we don't crawl, we, we don't walk, we can't crawl, we just kind of lay there on our back. Is it back or stomach? Back, I think it's back. Back to sleep, right? Is that, is that still hold? I don't know, for those that have babies. Um, we, uh, we can't talk, we don't eat solid food yet, uh, we just basically eat and poop. That's kind of the extent. Um, and that's where we are, three weeks in. So we're eating and pooping, and here we are, having a worship service. Uh, y'all encouraged now to be a part? I am. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, new beginnings. We're going to sleep one of these days, and we're going to eat solid food and do all kind of good stuff. But for now, we're just doing the basics. Um, new beginnings are exciting. They bring new changes, uh, new adventures, new changes to your life. Uh, Katie and I got married uh, a few years ago, and uh, when I got married, uh, one of the new things I was introduced to was... Uh, a new genre of movies that was like romantic movies, like the chick flick, romantic comedies, romantic dramas, romantic whatever, romantic. And I had gone through college and thereafter with a steady diet of war and violence. <laughs> so it was a new realm for me. And uh, I, was, I was committed to not like going there and like getting emotional. And then I did. Every time I watch uh, a chick flick, I'm crying. One of those early ones was The Notebook came out. Do you remember The Notebook? Some of you remember that. Some of you weren't born yet. But um, Ryan Gosling and, and uh, Rachel McAdams, they're, they're Noah and Allie, and they're young, and they're, they're vibrant, and they meet in the summer of South Carolina. It's in the, I think, 40s or so, and, uh, you know, love is in the air. But uh, they fall in love, but then she's got to go back to Charleston, and they're, they're high class and uh, he's, a, he's a working class, lower class guy. So the pa- Allie's parents intervene and keep him apart. And he's, you know, uh, Noah is his name, the character. He's writing love letters every day and sending them to Charleston. But mom and dad are intercepting those. And so, you know, time passes. They grow apart. Uh, they had this vision of one day they're going to buy this house and remake it and then be lovebirds together. And... Um, one day, she, Allie, she sees in the paper the picture of the house, and Noah has saved the money and bought the house and redone the house. And so, a couple of years have passed, but she, she goes back down to where he lives, and she sees if maybe the, you know, wants to see it one more time. And of course, as all romantic movies do, the, the love is rekindled, and the flames and the passion of Charleston and South Carolina. And, and so, she breaks off her engagement, and... They get married, and they know each other in life and marriage. Um, but you know the whole story by virtue of a flashback, if you've seen it. Uh, and this is the sad part, is because it, the story begins and ends with uh, being in a, a nursing home. And uh, Noah, the, the man, is, is reading from a notebook, hence the name, to, to Allie. And he's reading the story of their life and recounting all the memories and all the things they've done together. Do you remember this? But what's the problem? Allie has dementia, right? She has dementia. Yeah, Alzheimer's has taken over and she doesn't even remember him. He, 
He's right there in front recounting all the memories, all the passions, all the love, all they've shared. And she gets angry. And if you've been around dementia, and all, it's a terrible, terrible thing. It's such an awful disease. To be right face to face with someone you know so intimately, and yet she doesn't even know him. At one point he grabs her and says, Allie, it's me, it's me. And she doesn't even know him. Terribly sad reality. Uh, the scene we're in here in John 14, uh, Philip do- doesn't have dementia, um, but he's been with Jesus and they've done lots of life together. Three years actually. This is in the, the upper room. Je- this is the last moments of Jesus' life. And they spent a lot of time together and they've done a lot of uh, great, amazing things. They've seen miracles. They've, they've traveled together. They've meals together. Um, and yet, uh, Philip doesn't quite recognize who Jesus is. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Jesus says say this in verse 9 to Philip. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? I've been together so long. We've spent so much time and, and you don't even know who I am. That's the context. Philip didn't even know him. The whole purpose of Jesus' journey with Philip and the disciples is that they would know him. That's the reason they invited him on this adventure, on this journey of discipleship, was that they would be a connection. There would be a knowing, not just a recognition, but an actual knowing of the heart. And Philip has missed it. That's great. We've talked about the notebook. Talked about Philip. How does that relate to us? Some of us have been around the church world of Christianity a long time. Um, we've done the church thing. We've served. Uh, maybe we've done Christian school. We've done vacation Bible schools. We've done Bible study. Maybe we've done what I'm doing. We've preached sermons. Um, but we wonder, you know, would Jesus say to us, I've been with you so long. Like, we've logged some hours, but you still don't know me. Jesus, I, I hear Jesus saying that. There's a little frustration you'll read after, maybe from Jesus. This is like the third time he said who he was. But I hear more of the sadness. We've spent so much time and you still don't know me. Some of you uh, are new to the Christian faith. Maybe you've been a Christian um, a short time or a few, a few, few weeks, a few months, a year um, and I hope this is uh, exciting for you because you're on the front end of this journey. And a journey with Jesus is a wild journey. He's going to take us all kind of places and He's going to teach us and He's going to give us good a, a doctrine and theology and teach us tradition and teach us a lot of things. But I want you to hear tonight, um, I want you to hear the goal of all of that. You're on, you're on the front end. The goal of the whole journey of discipleship is to know Him. To engage Jesus. To know who He really is. We can get all of it right and yet miss Him. There's some of you here that that may not say you know Jesus yet. You're exploring. You're on the journey. I don't know if I believe this Christian thing uh, I'm not sure about it. And I actually kind of envy you a little bit because um, 
My prayer is that you would, you would come to know Jesus and you would come to know Jesus and from the very beginning you would know what you're after. You're after connection. You're after intimacy with Him. Many of us have been around the church, like I said, and uh, we were confused. Um, maybe we were misguided. We thought it was uh, Jesus plus all of our morality or Jesus was a nice addition to Ben trying to improve himself, or to uh, it's a it's a it's a spiritual version of self help, and Jesus is just kind of another way. But you don't have to do that. You can actually enter in with, from the very beginning and know all of life, all of reality is found in knowing personally, knowing and engaging with Jesus. And so you don't have to miss. You don't have to miss out. That's my prayer that you would know him. That, that you wouldn't hear these words that Philip hears. That you know him from the very beginning. Let's look at the passage and we're going to see why, why it is that we miss knowing him. Why it is that we can be around him but miss him. He's going to encourage, even command them not about to do something. They're tempted to do something because they're doing something, right? Or they're about to do something. They're tempted to do something. And the disciples... But they kind of have some good reason to have their hearts troubled. I, I don't blame them. Chapter 13, you know, and the, the, the chapter breakups are artificial, so what's in in 13 comes into 14. In chapter 13, what's, what's been told is that Jesus told the 12 disciples, one of you, though we've been together three years, one of you is going to betray me. And they're shocked. And there's fear. And there's anxiety. Who is it? And then he says, in fact, you, Peter, yes, you're the passionate, the zealous one, you know, the one that's going to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol, that's Peter. You are going to deny me three times. And they're troubled. <laughs> Their whole world is shaken. He's about to tell them, after this verse, he's going to tell them, and me, the one you followed, the one you've given your whole life, the one you've dedicated everything, and you've left your job, and you've left your home, and you've traveled, I'm going to leave. And where I'm going, you can't go. At least not for now. And so they're afraid. They have logged some hours. They have traveled. They've seen Jesus. They've given everything, and they're deeply troubled and afraid. One of the reasons we miss Jesus, we miss knowing Jesus, is because we're afraid. We're like the disciples and we're afraid. And when you're afraid, um, you miss the things right in front of you, you know? You know how that goes? Um, when I'm anxious or worried, I don't see my wife and kids. Like, I see my to-do list. I see my struggles. I see my worries. They're right there. They're things God's given me to love and care and shepherd, but I don't see them because I'm afraid. A silly example of this is we, we do this all the time. Uh, you ever had that moment where you're late for something and you're running and you've you got to go and you're like, where are my keys, where are my keys, where are my keys? You know that thing? I do this all the time. And, uh, and you're looking around and then you're like, you're holding your keys or they're in your pocket or they're on the table right there. Somebody else say you've done that, please. The other day I couldn't find my sunglasses and they were on my head. It's like, where are my sunglasses? When, you, when you're in a hurry, when, when you're afraid, when you're worried, when you're anxious, uh, you miss what's right there. 
The disciples were afraid and they were troubled. And there was reasons. There were scary things happening. And Jesus right there grabbing them by the face. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm with you. It's my presence that they're afraid. We can miss it. We can miss knowing Jesus. I'm sure you can relate to this. What are you afraid of? Name your fear tonight. Name your anxiety. Holidays are coming up. Some of us are afraid of the holidays. It can be a, can be a good time. It can be a scary time. Uh, some of us are afraid of... Uh, we're afraid of the workload. Our cases. We're afraid of our teenagers and what they're going to become and what they're going to do. Or we're afraid of our, you know, our, our parents, our aging parents. and We're afraid of health. We're afraid of... We're just afraid. We're afraid, are we going to be enough? I'm afraid, is my life going to matter? We're afraid maybe we're too much. We're afraid no one's going to love us and we're going to be lonely. We are afraid, people. We're afraid. Jesus is with these folks and these promises to them are promises to us. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He is with them. He speaks in the middle of your anxiety, your fear. We turn everywhere, but not to Him. Not to the one who made us, the one that can settle us, the one that calms us. We get afraid. Unfortunately, it's not just fear. We don't just miss Jesus because of fear. Uh, as our fear persists, there's other problems. Look at the text. Jesus is going to say um, in verses 2 and following, um, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it, don't worry, there's, there's plenty of rooms. There's many rooms. And, and where I go, you can't go now, but I'll come back and get you and I'll bring you to where I am. So don't be troubled. And then um, and you'll know the way. And then Thomas, hear the fear. You hear Thomas? We don't know the way. How can, we, how can you say we know the way? We, we don't know the way. Do you hear the anxiety and the fear? And Jesus says those famous words, let me, let me ease your fear. Um, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Here's the answer. Here's the peace in the storm. Here's the calm. It's going to be scary. But I am the way. I'm right in front of you. The, the anecdote, the solution to our fear is connection to Jesus. Um, often these verses, I am the way, the truth, they get used in sort of a defending the faith way. Kind of Maybe you've used this. I've used this in evangelism. You're talking to someone and they say there's many ways to God. And you say, no, Jesus says I'm the way. And that is a good use of this passage. But Jesus is actually using it in a pastoral way. He's using it as a coming beside the bedside or visiting someone at their home and he says that I am the way. They're afraid. They're afraid. And he doesn't say, other religions are going to say, follow my teaching, follow my lead, and I will show you the way. You know, here, uh, here are the, the, the steps, the pillars, the teaching. And you follow my path and I will point you to the way of life or enlightenment or
peace, nirvana, whatever it may be. Just follow me. I will direct you. I will direct you. But Jesus doesn't say that, does He? I want you to... It's connected to knowing. He doesn't say that. He didn't say, I'm the trailblazer. Just follow my path. He says, what? I am the way. It is in me, in connection, in union with me. That is the way to the Father. You're worried out here. You're struggling. You're grabbing. But it's in me. It's in connection. It's in union. It's found in me. And that should have been enough. You know, that should have been it. should have been it. Okay, that's good. My fears are... But that's not. And we see Philip... We really see the failure of Philip. Philip says, okay, I hear that, but Lord, Lord, show us the Father and that is enough for us. Can you imagine how Jesus would have felt with that? He gives this great answer, His presence. If if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, there's this connection. And Philip said, that's good, that's good. I I get that. But if you just give us the Father, like, like that would be enough. In other words, you're not enough. You know, we sing these songs, you know, you're enough, you alone, you satisfy, you're sufficient. And Philip looks at Jesus and says, That's good, like appreciate that, but just give us the big one. Give us give us the Father. Give us the Father. It's one thing to be fearful, have anxiety. It's another thing to resist and to reject the truth of who God is. The, the truth of who God is speaks into our fears. And here we see Philip. Lord, show us the Father and it is enough. I've just told you four times, it's me. He has just said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him, namely, in me. And yet Philip, he resists the offer. He resists the truth. It's unbelief. It's fear and unbelief. They keep us from seeing and knowing who Jesus is. Uh, some of you know the story. Uh, the Japanese soldier, Hiro Onoda. You may know this story. He was... Onoda was um, a lieutenant in the Japanese army in World War II. Onoda was uh, near the end of World War II. He was sent to uh, the western part of the Philippines, to Lubang. And he and three other men were, were, were called to hide out in the villages, in the, in the jungles of Lubang. And they were called to spy on the U.S. soldiers, the troops. And so they're hiding out. Well, what happened in 1945? They were sent in 45. What happened in 45? The war ended. World War II is over. After the atomic bombs, Japan surrendered in the summer of 45. But Onoda and the other three men, they refused to believe that the war was over. And so they evaded capture. They, they went through conflicts. They stole. They got food to survive still living as if the war was continuing. October of 45, a couple months after the war, they found a pamphlet announcing that Japan had surrendered. However, Onoda believed it to be propaganda from the enemies to lure them out of hiding. 
So they continued to live as though the war existed. A few months later, uh, the Japanese army, uh, the, the commander, they, they dropped leaflets out of planes over the area these men were hiding in the Philippines with orders to surrender by the Japanese general Yamashita of the 14th Area Army. The war is over. Surrender. Onoda and his men, they analyzed the leaflet intensely. But they believed it not to be genuine, so they continued to live as though the war was going. Four years later, in 1949, they were still hiding, still living as though World War II was continuing. And one of the men left the other three, and Onoda said he defected. He left his post, but he surrendered. He got to go home. And when he went home, he told the government. And so family and, and, family and friends of the men still hiding, they sent letters and pictures, and they airdropped them in this area where they were hiding. The war is over. Come home. But the men refused to believe. They saw it was a trick. 1954, nine years they've been hiding. Still living in anxiety and fear as though the war was still raging. One of the men was shot and killed. There were two men left. Onoda and Shimada. And these two men lived, listen to this, 27 years hiding in the Philippines, believing World War II was still going. They were actively believing the war still persisted. Finally, after 27 years, Shimada was shot and killed with locals. And so now, just Onoda was himself alive. And for two more years, he continued to live as though the war persisted. And finally... In 1974, 29 years after World War II ended, of hiding, he, he surrendered. He surrendered. Hiro Onoda spent a third of his life, a third, th- almost 30 years living his life based on a lie. Refusing to believe the reality, the truth, the news he had heard from heaven dropped down to him. And he lived in fear and anxiety instead of finding comfort and freedom and family. It's a crazy story, isn't it? But in some ways, we do that. We do that. Our fears are present, and that's part of us in this fallen world. And yet, the solution, the news of heaven, the report from God, the person of Jesus to ease our fears, to to let us come out of hiding, out of conflict, out of anxiety, and to come down and to surrender, and to trust, to believe The words, the news, the promises that there is peace. Instead, we believe the lie. And we refuse to believe the truth. Jesus claimed to Philip, to the others, to be the truth. And yet, Philip was refusing to surrender. Refusing to believe. It's sad because... Think of what Philip had seen. Like Onoda, Philip had seen... 
water to wine. He had seen the feeding of the 5,000. He had seen the, the, the demons come out of people in the presence of Jesus. He had traveled. He had been with Him. He had experienced Him. He had all the signs, and yet his heart refused. And we do this too, right? We have, as if you're a believer today, you have God's Word to you. His promises. These promises He gave these men are promises to us. We have one another as His people. If you belong to Jesus, you have the very Spirit of God within us. You have material blessings as God has blessed us. And yet we still don't trust Him. We say, yeah, that's great, you know, but I need, if you would write it in the sky, I would believe you. You know, that's great. I, I want to trust you, but if you answer this one prayer in this one way, then I will surrender my heart and trust you. It's too scary to come down the mountain because I don't know if I can trust you. We persist in unbelief. And sometimes we're like, oh no, no, we get close. We see the pamphlet and we read it. And we kind of want to believe it, but we analyze it. And then we, Onoda that said that when he read one of the pamphlets, he, he started to believe and then he heard gunfire on the island. And he thought, well, surely the war can't be over. That There's gunfire. This is nine years later. The war must be continuing. And so we experience the tragedy of this world. We experience the brokenness. We see the carnage. We were just in California at a church planning conference and one of the couples that was with us was from Thousand Oaks. Uh, if you know the news, there was a shooting there just this week. And the fear and the anxiety. And so we realized the world is broken. It's broken out there. It's broken in our own hearts, our own struggles, our own sin, our own addictions. So we want to believe. We say, how, how can Jesus work in this broken world? He's not Enough. Our life circumstances overtake us and we don't believe the truth about Jesus. Those things rage in the world in our own heart and outwardly, but Jesus is there to connect. That we would know Him and have life and have peace. But fear, fear and unbelief, they prevent us from knowing Him they keep up for seeing what's right in front of us. So what, what does Jesus do? That's what we do. We get scared, we struggle to believe, but Jesus does something. Jesus does something. We've already seen this text. He is so gracious. Like if someone failed to believe me like this, I would just write them off. <laughs> Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let me explain it to you guys again. And they're worried, and Thomas is worried, and he says, let me explain it again. I'm the way, I'm the truth. He's gracious. And then, and then Philip says, yeah, 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 but we need more, we need more. We're anxious. And Jesus says, okay, okay, I, I, I see your fear. I know you're afraid. Let me explain it to you again. He doesn't chide them. He doesn't say, quit being a baby, get over it. The Master stoops again. And he explains. And he starts with this challenging word. Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? 
I think that when I read that, the word still gets me. It's not, have I been with you so long and you don't know me, but, and you still? Like, is your heart not surrendered yet? Do you not have eyes to see who I am? And so he says, okay. Let me, let me stoop. I'll explain it again. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of these works themselves. He reassures them. He comforts them. But He also teaches them. He explains He explains about the relationship between the Father and the Son. You see, the problem for Philip has been a relational problem. Philip's been with Jesus, but he's missed Jesus, right? He's done stuff. He's experienced stuff. He's been to church, but he's missed the point. He's missed the person. And so Jesus... The problem's a relational problem and the solution's a relational solution. It's a relationship between the Father and the Son. It's like the, uh, the cosmic object lesson, you know. Um, it's the case study from heaven. You don't get relationship. You don't get it. You're not seeing it clearly. Let me point to one. Let me show you a relationship where there's such connection. There's such union. This is what we're made for. There's such communion This is what we are called to be. Let me show you a relationship so good that you can't miss it, Philip. One of union, unity, connection. One of the things Katie always says about counseling is that um, it's challenging because most people, all of us, we all need, need counseling and that's all of us. It's because there's a relational, we've had relational harm or trauma or something's happened. But what's the solution to the relational problem? It's relationships. The the damage is done by relationships. The healing is done by relationships. Philip misses the relationship, so he points him to the relationship to the Father, to the Son. Jesus had to come over once again and explain the oneness of the Father. To see... Jesus is to see the Father. What's God's heart towards you? Is God going to be present in your situation and your trials? Look at Jesus. If you see Jesus, you see the heart of the Father. Jesus says the words He gives me are speaking. What I do, He does. Colossians 1, He says, I am the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says, I am the exact nature of His substance. We are so inter connected. I know this is hard to grasp. This is the, you know, the Bible has three sort of main mysteries of, of unity. Uh, there's the mystery of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How they're distinct person, but they're one. There's the mystery of the two natures of Christ. He's divine and He's human and that they're one. There's the mystery between Christ and His church. They're separate and yet they're one. And here... The relationship of the church, Philip, 
with Christ is being paralleled, is shown the relationship between the Father and the Son. It's connection. It's connection with the Father through the Son. Don't miss it. Don't miss the heart of our faith. Do you know how Onoda finally surrendered? Uh, a Japanese man went on a, went on a hunt to find him, Norio Suzuki. He went to fa- find Onoda, and when he found him, he found him in, the, in hiding. He became friends with him, and they developed a friendship, but Onoda would not surrender until he had orders from a superior. Good military man there, 29 years later. So Suzuki goes back to Japan. He takes pictures that I've met Onoda. He is still alive. And the Japanese government found Onoda's commanding officer, Major Yoshumi Taniguchi. And Taniguchi was flown to Lebang in the western Philippines. And he found Onoda... And he formally, on behalf of the Japanese army, relieved him of his duties in the Philippines. Taniguchi came to him and found him and brought him. After 29 years, Onoda, still in his original army uniform with his sword and his rifle, came down out of hiding and surrendered his sword and his gun. You see, it took someone from back home. Someone with authority. The commanding officer. Someone that would pursue him and come to him and reassure him before he would believe that the war was over. Um, There's some truth for us. Our hiding, unbelieving hearts. We need something We need the commanding officer to come. We need him to come to us, to speak to us with authority and with power, and to reassure to us that we can come out of hiding, that it's safe, that it's good, that we can surrender our hearts and trust Him, that we can believe the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is, the be- is a better message that Oneida had. It's not just let me come and bring you home. It's let me come and I've taken your place. Jesus has come and died in our place that we can be free, that we can be alive, that we can come down out of hiding. We can know that we can know the God of the universe. Jesus came and gave us His presence to rescue us. Um, you know, our troubled hearts were fearful. You know, I pray all that time the prayer, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. You pray that prayer. We're kind of a mixed bag. Um, I just reassure you tonight, no matter where you are on the journey, the, the answer is, is Jesus. Not all the trappings, but it's knowing Him in a personal, intimate way. The One that's come from heaven. The One that is in relationship, communion to the Father. The One that is enough, as Philip now knows, 
enough to ease our hurting hearts, to ease our fears, and to show us the truth of who He is. Our call is to trust Him, to put our faith in Him. Christ Redeemer, let's do that together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, thank You that You are so good, that You meet us in our sin,